0: When I went off to college, my desire was to get involved and engaged. And there was actually three main groups that I got involved with. Uh, One was ROTC, and I kind of had to be involved with them because they were paying for my college, my tuition, first two years. The second group was a Christian organization called Intervarsity, um, and a third group was a social fraternity, Sigma Chi. It was a confusing day right there was an emphasis and mission and direction happening in all different directions and all of the groups had a little bit of things that were I felt like were kind of weird or off or awkward and and one of those things I'm just going to talk about the university the Christian the parachurch organization or a group of students and if I'm honest as I went there and met many of the students there was a, a social awkwardness to many of the students that were involved in this. You know, when you meet someone that kind of doesn't have all those social cues, especially in college when we're all trying to figure out who we are and we don't understand those, there's a social awkwardness, but then there's also a Christian social awkwardness. Do you know what I'm talking about with that? Yeah, it's like it's a little extra in the social awkwardness. So I admit to you... that I didn't quite have the maturity to overcome that Christian social awkwardness. I I felt awkward around these folks, and I didn't want to be with them, right? So I distanced myself from them to a certain degree. Now, I still hung out, but I kind of avoided those particular people and all those kind of things. It was my sophomore year that when I was talking with a staff worker who was there and serving He said a a comment that brought deep conviction. He said, you know, I always really like it when there's, well, he would call them extra grace required people, EGRs. Extra grace required people. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you might be one, actually, yeah. (laughs) You know, just elbow him under. Don't let people see you. So the EGRs, he said this. He said, I love when there's a lot of EGRs in our community of faith because that really shows the love and acceptance that God has for all people. And I didn't know whether he knew it or not, but he brought deep conviction to my heart. That instead of distancing myself from those EGRs and avoiding them, that I wanted to see them as God sees them, with a plan and purpose. So I, I started to draw close to those EGRs. Many of you have asked, why in the world would I hire David Manzion as our youth director? Now you know, really. It was just so easy. He's behind the camera there for that, yeah. But it, that, there were, that represented in me a paradigm shift of seeing people in a different way, less immaturely, less judgmentally, right? With more grace, with more love, with more of God's purpose and desire for each person, whether they were socially awkward or not, right? This morning, we're going to look at a story which is perhaps one of the most profound paradigm shifts in all of Scripture. In fact, God is wanting to lead his church, both the early church and you and I, in this paradigm shift. And for many of us, we've been led through that paradigm, but he wants to reemphasize and strengthen and encourage us in this paradigm shift. This story that we're going to read, we're not going to read the whole story because it happens to be the longest story in the book of Acts. It starts in Acts 10. If you've brought your Bibles, would you turn there with me? But that should tell us something, that, that God commits a lot of time to this story, almost two full chapters. And in fact, we should also notice that this story has in it a lot of supernatural interference, right? That, that he's going to try and break through to some of the thinking on the early churches, and he's going to send an angel, his spirit is going to speak, there's going to be visions that's happening, and we should notice that God is really wanting his church then and today to get this deeply and live from a place of this paradigm shift. All right. Acts chapter 10, we're going to read some of the story, but we're going to read the first parts of chapter 10. It goes this way. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment, so he's serving the Roman military. He's a centurion, means he has really the charge of a of a hundred men, part of a cohort, and a legion. Verse two: He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter, He is staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. that's happening in Caesarea. He sends his soldiers now. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray, Oftentimes they had flat roofs that uh, people could walk around and pray, avoid people as well. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. This is Peter. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Verse 15, The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent Cornelius. Uh, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, said to him, Simon. Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Okay, keep in mind now, Cornelius, right? He's Roman or Italian. He's not Jewish, right? It was a violation to Peter who was following. He was what would be known as a Messianic Jew. He's Jewish. He's following... The, the, the Jewish customs, the laws. So, so to invite those three men into his own house or into Simon the Tanner's house was crossing some cultural and dietary laws. For Peter to go with them and enter into their house in Caesarea because it was a Gentile home would violate some of those traditions. But that's exactly what Peter does. Because the Holy Spirit said to him, don't hesitate and go. Peter has this vision of eating non-kosher food and what is going on. It's repeated three times. It's emphasizing. Then the Spirit goes, go with these men. He goes with these men, right? And he goes to Caesarea and he begins to preach and speak to um, Cornelius and his household and his friends. They've gathered together. Look at verse uh, 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is the Lord of all. You know what had happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I love that summation of the gospel. Jesus is the Lord of all, anointed by the Holy Spirit to do good and heal all. Now jump down to verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message the circumcised believers who had come with peter were astonished that the gift of the spirit had been poured out even on the gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising god right so they see these non-jewish these gentile folks receive the filling and the baptism of the holy spirit just like they experienced in pentecost way back then peter says verse 47 surely No one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water because water is a physical symbol of salvation, of a spiritual truth. He said, obviously, these Gentiles, these pagans came to know the Lord. We should baptize them in water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, just like in Pentecost, Acts 2 when we talked that, that they... They've got enough right to this inheritance that we do. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. All right, we're going to... Now, they baptize, uh, Peter baptizes them. He goes back to Jerusalem. And guess what? The, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem go, What? You went into a Gentile's house? You, you traveled with them? You went in there? Wait, you baptized them with what? Peter, what are you thinking? In a lot of chapter 11, is Peter retelling the story? And ultimately, he says, <laughs> the Holy Spirit was doing this, and I didn't want to get in his way. So if you want to argue with God, go ahead, but I'm, I'm, I'm with him right? I, I'm paraphrasing here, okay? Now, what I want to do this morning, before we look and analyze this paradigm shift of the early church, what I'd like us to do is focus in on this amazing character of Cornelius, right? Cornelius, is, he, he wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the, the 72 He wasn't part of the early church at this point. He wasn't even Jewish, for crying out loud. He's this this Gentile and this pagan. And what Peter saw when he looked at Cornelius, right? What do you think Peter saw? This guy's not kosher. He's not good. He doesn't follow our laws. He's not a child of God. He's not from us. He doesn't know the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not one of us. And I'm going to be violating some of my dietary laws if I hang with him. That's how Peter saw him. I want to contrast that with how God saw Cornelius. You see, I believe that God sees in color. But not in the color of culture that we would think. He sees culture. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But he sees in the color of faith. He sees in the color. It's a, it's a multicolor version, and he's looking for people in this color spectrum of faith. And he's inviting Peter to see in the same way that he does. Now, does God see in color of culture? Of course he did. He he created all the cultures. I, I think it's a little bit like nature, right? Where there's all these different colors of flowers. I mean, even weeds Kendra and I, when we were like, man, look at how beautiful that weed is, right? There, there's color. And I believe God celebrates the color of culture and the color of skin. And we should join him in that celebration. And yet what God really sees, what God is looking for is the color of faith, and he finds this beautiful spectrum of the color of faith in the person of Cornelius. And I want us, before we get to this paradigm shift, I want us to see, because it's going to help us understand this paradigm shift that much more. The first part, in the color scheme of the color of faith is this. I would say, part of the scheme is the color of prayer. That we see Cornelius Again, not an apostle, not a part of the early church, not even Jewish. And yet, this military man of Cornelius, he's praying on a regular basis. Um, there's a practice of, uh, of a rhythm of prayer that the early church, um, in fact, uh, ancient Jewish culture Practice that at regular time, at fixed times, they would pause and pray. Look at Psalm 119, 164. It says, Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. We actually don't know in ancient Israel the the times that they designated to practice, but we do know by the time of Jesus, by the time of the New Testament, we do know that the, the Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, would pray at 6 a.m. in the morning, at 9, at 12, at 3, and at 6. Right? There was a, a regular rhythm of that. It, it was interesting. I was noticing, I don't know if you noticed that, did you notice the time that Cornelius was praying and the time that Peter was praying. Did you notice that at all? What time was that? Um, Cornelius was praying at... at 3, and Peter was praying at noon. Did I say that right, or did I make, yep. mix those two? Yes. So, again, interesting. Both of them were following this fixed hour of prayer, 6, nine, twelve, three, and 6. Today not many um, more evangelicals follow fixed hour prayer. Some do, but especially in the tr- traditions of Orthodox Christianity or Roman Catholicism um, or even Anglican Christians, they follow these fixed hour of prayer. Some of them do. And we see this modeled, and I wondered, is that, is that significant? For some reason the inspired author of Acts, Dr. Luke, he just notes that they were praying at this time, that they were participating in this fixed hour of prayer. I was thinking, how many of us would really like more of God's voice in our life? Yes? Huh? How many of us have, we have petitions that we're asking for God to answer? Some of you, yes? Raise your hand at home. Okay, I see that hand. No, just kidding. All right. How many of you, boy, if God were going to lead his church in a paradigm shift, that you would be honored if you were the one that he sent an angel to and vision and the Holy Spirit spoke to and did that. How many would that be cool or would that be intimidating? Yeah? It's interesting that God chooses this military man. And in fact, he speaks to both Peter, an apostle, and this ordinary military man man in their times of prayer, in their rhythm of prayer, in their abiding in prayer, in their connection with God in prayer. Can you imagine God looking down? Okay, it's time for this big paradigm shift. Who am I going to use? <laughs> look, at, look at him. I, he, he's pr- at, We know he's solid. Six, nine, noon, three, six. Actually, Gabriel, we don't know his name. Gabriel, go speak to him on this and tell them. I would love to be that person where when God is going to speak revelation, when God is going to do a paradigm shift, when God is going to answer prayer, when God is going to get more intimate, if he would know, boy, on that regular basis... He or she is praying, and I'm going to reach out and speak. And I and I also love Cornelius because he's not a monk, he's not a priest, he doesn't get paid to be religious or spiritual, right? He he's got a a, a full time job. He's he's got responsibilities. He's got things to do. He's accountable to to greater and yet in the midst of all that responsibility and all of that job, he's leading a family and a household. He's doing all of that. He has a rhythm of prayer in his life that God sees. And boy, boy, that's a neat color. That's a color of faith. He not only... Cornelius not only had a color of prayer in his life, but he also had a color of generosity. Look again at verse 4. It's so neat the way the angel says this. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. In the Old Testament, there was a portion of, of the grain offering that was called a memorial. In other words, the angel was saying, your acts of generosity, your blessing of the poor and needy, your giving away, that's like a memorial. That's like an offering that that you give that goes before the God and, and God sees it and God remembers it and God is working in response to your prayers and your generosity. The apostle Paul talks about that a gift from the Philippian church and he mentions this. He says this in Philippians 4:18, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from I can never <laughs> say his name right, Epaphroditus. Let's go with that, you don't know. The gifts sent They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And he goes on to say, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In other words, the angel is saying... And essentially, Paul is saying the the same thing, that these gifts are acts. For any of you that gave towards, say, Gabby, as we talked about, or give to the church, or or find someone and feel led to bless them with a gift, right? those acts are this generous offering that's given that, are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, and they're pleasing to God. God is looking for, look at that Cornelius guy. Not only does he pray on a regular basis, but he's generous. He's mindful of those who have less. He's giving. And that like goes before the Lord. Boy, I want to be like Cornelius. And the final thing is this. Not only does Cornelius have the the color palette of prayer and generosity, but also obedience. Right away, we see Cornelius does not hesitate. He doesn't pull back. Right away, he follows. He gets revelation from the angel, and he responds in obedience. And I was thinking about this idea this word which I love, which is abide, right? When when Jesus talks about, he uses the most intimate language. Abide means to remain. He says, I am the vine of God. You are the branches. Remain. Abide in me. And with abide, he connects obedience. With abide, he connects obedience. He says in John 15, 9 and 10, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments, And abide in his love. Do you see the close connection? In other words, he's saying, don't tell me you love me and then you don't obey, you don't listen. You're not mindful of what I'm saying. I'm looking for those. This connects with the idea of reverence and humility, that I am allowing the Lord to speak into my life, that I'm trusting him that he has good life, the righteous life the kingdom life in store for me and how I live matters. And he's inviting me to a humble obedience. That's the abiding in him. He looks down and he sees Cornelius as this non-Jewish, God-fearing man. He says, look at his prayer." Look at his generosity. Look at his reverent obedience. Let's use him. It's kind of a tough application question. What would he see if he looked at you and me and our lives? Would he see the color of faith? Would he see us abiding in him? Would he see us living as generous people? Would he see us praying in rhythm of life? Let me ask an easier application question. Of those three things that Cornelius models for us, what's the one that he's inviting you to grow into Today, what would be, ooh, I need a little more of that color in my color palette of faith. I, I need to, yeah, you know what, I, I have, I, boy, I used to pray on a regular basis. I, I, I've walked away from that a bit. You know, I, I, I've not, there's been times that I've given a gift here and there, but that's not part of, my, my life is not generous, I know there's aspects of my life that I'm not living in obedience to Christ. What would be that color that the Lord is inviting you to add to your color palette of faith? I can't tell that to you. I can only tell it to myself. Okay? All right. So we could end right there. I mean, that that was there, right? But... This story uses this neat life of Cornelius to lead us to this paradigm shift. And we've got to look at this paradigm shift a little bit more closely. Super important. Look at verse 34 with me. This story is about the spirit of Christ breaking through all of the mindsets of the early church and leading to this kingdom truth, which is verse 34. Peter, he's got this vision. There's a repetition three times, right? The Holy Spirit speaking to him. He's all that. And finally, he sees Cornelius and his family gather together, and he gets it. Light bulb, bam. I now realize, Peter says, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He's seeing with a different color palette that God is moving from an Old Testament perspective, even though I would argue that God saw all peoples on the earth and he was using Israel specifically to get to all peoples of the earth, but that's a whole other sermon. But he's saying, he's saying, listen, it doesn't matter who is before you, black or white, rich or poor. I love them. I died for them. I'm calling and inviting you to love on them. And Peter goes, mind blown. It's a different way of seeing people, of interacting with people. Again, that kingdom truth is a way. Does God see skin color? Of course he does. He created that. He celebrates that. But God is looking for faith. Look again at verse 24. He's saying every nation... He shows no favoritism. The, the, the ground is level at the cross. Every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right, that's what he's looking. He's looking for the Cornelius'es. It doesn't matter. If, he, if Cornelius is, is Italian or Roman or Jewish or Ethiopian, right, or Indian, it doesn't matter. He's looking for those folks. That are living their faith. And so should you and I. That's the lens. That's the paradigm shift. He's, he's inviting us to. Paul would go on. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he would talk about a mystery revealed to him. And he would articulate this mystery in a variety of ways. But perhaps my favorite way of him articulating the mystery that was revealed to him was this. Galatians 3, 28. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. See it. Recognize it live it as a model to this broken world i want <clears throat> to i want to brag on my parents for just a moment my throat is really dry <clears throat> i'm going to brag on my parents and then i'm going to critique my parents a little bit all right and I believe that my parents are part of the great cloud of witness and that they often listen in on our services here, all right? So they might be listening in. I wonder if they'll agree with my critique in particular, but also my blessing of them. My parents, they were born in the 60s and yet, or, or lived in the 60s, but they were not flower children. And even though they lived in the, in the 60s, Um, They were not Jesus people. They were regular old Christian folks working jobs and raising a family. They were particularly, they, they attended church. They served in the church, sometimes taught Sunday school. But perhaps, and certainly they weren't perfect, but they were a little bit ahead of their times Perhaps it was because they were social workers. They intentionally lo- li- moved us into a multicultural neighborhood that we might experience all the cultures. They, they modeled and spoke from this truth, that every person is made in the image of God and is worthy of respect and love and kindness that we're called to love our neighbors regardless of their skin color or their culture. And so the effect that it had on me and my siblings is that I grew up with white friends and Hispanic friends and black friends and Jewish friends. It was good. I attended bar mitzvahs. Sometime I had a friend and I was asking her so much about her her Mormon faith that she kind of misunderstood my interest and she ended up sending two elders to my house. That was a little much for my mom, but she welcomed them in. They were in our living room and and it was an awkward conversation. But of course, I was just curious. I was interested about all faith, right? And it was okay. We talked about that. One of my closest friends for a while named John He was black, and he was a Jehovah Witness. He didn't like being a Jehovah Witness, but he was right. We just—that's how it was. We we just—I saw them through that lens. What what my parents had did is they lived from that place of what Peter is experiencing in Acts 10 and 11. Again, they weren't perfect there was one form of prejudice that I need to be honest with you and share. My my father was morally and ethically opposed to all Green Bay Packers fans. Yes. So now, uh, prayer and fasting, I'm almost over that. Not quite yet, right? Okay. But see, what they were doing is that they had gone through the paradigm shift. I don't know if it was from their church. I don't know if it was in their personal relationship with God. I don't know if it was because they had friends that were people of faith that were from different cultures, but they had gone through that paradigm shift and they raised us kids to see with that lens of God's perspective. I would say that it was generational blessing of the faith that they believed in Acts 10.34 that they believed in Galatians 3.28 and they passed that on to their kids. I'm hoping and praying that God is passing that on to our kids, right? I see it there. So one of those things is, you know I'm a big, I, I talk a lot about sacred friendships, right? That's part of, what we want to be about as a church is we want to have a sacred friend. Did you know that I don't just have white male sacred friends? In fact, I have, I have two friends I'm just going to mention real briefly. One is Pastor Gabby. We've been talking about him. Did you know that Pastor Gabby, Gabby, did you know he's Lebanese? He's Arab. yeah. And yet, amazingly, right, I connect, like there, there's, a, there's this sacred bond with Gabby. I love the guy. We, we talk about theology, and we talk about controversial stuff, and I can't believe I agree more with him than most of my white pastor friends, right? It, it, it's amazing. There's a connection. I love him, right? I love my. I, I feel called to him, Right? I also don't want to embarrass anyone but she happens to be in the room. So Tracy Hiltz is one of my sacred friends, right? Did you know that Tracy she's black? Has anyone noticed that and she's a woman, right? What is that connection from? Do you understand what I'm saying? Here, the, this lens that really I learned from my parents. And I told Tracy, I said, when I was inviting Tracy to be an elder or to be part of our rotation team, I'm just going to be honest with you, it wasn't because she was black and she was a woman. It's because she loves Jesus, and I love the way she loves Jesus, and I want to learn from her. I want part of her to be part of the leadership of the church because of the maturity that she has and the wisdom that God has blessed her with. You, you see what I'm saying? that I There's this color scheme that I learned from my parents. And now I'm trying to live that out. All right. One more thing I want to say about Peter. Do you know that Peter had a time where he regressed from this paradigm shift that he started to live in a distant way in a non-loving way towards Gentile Christians We know about this because the Apostle Paul, who's talking to the Galatian church that are wrestling with, if you read the book of Galatians, they're wrestling with this paradigm shift and what this means for life and faith and daily engagement with people. And he tells this story. Another name for Peter was Cephas. It says in Galatians 2.11, he says, When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. right? Remember, Peter is a pillar of the church. He was an apostle. And Paul opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, Jerusalem, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. These were Christians. These were. Jewish Christians primarily from Jerusalem and Peter pulls back from hanging out with Gentile Christians because again there was a way, perhaps some prejudice or prejudice perhaps it was their dietary laws but he says the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy if you understand the gospel and yet live separated from people Because of culture or color of skin. That's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, he was the ministry partner of Paul. And Barnabas was led astray because he was a Jewish Christian. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth Of the gospel, he confronted them. And that phrase caught me in line with the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is God loves every man, woman, and child. In every culture, in every nation, in every skin color. And he's calling us to love him, love them as he has loved us. To eat with them, to share life with them, to journey with them. And if we don't do that, We're not living in line with the gospel. Amen? All right. Some of you right now are assuming that this is a political message because this relates to some of the political discussion that's happening. Would you hear me? this is not a political statement or message. It's not. It's not, not. This relates to how I want to critique my parents. I think there is a danger when we begin to live from a framework or a color of politics rather than the kingdom of God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't connect truths to the kingdom of God to political positions. What you're doing is you're putting the cart before the horse, yes? That we're not meant to understand the faith through a particular political lens through blue or red. We're meant to understand politics through the lens of the kingdom of God. And I believe that my parents would say, all right, fair criticism, Eric. That sometimes, like I've noticed that people get weird when it comes to politics, right? They they can be nice Christian folks full of humility and love and kindness, and then something political comes up and all they do is see red or blue, right? And they get angry, and all reason goes out, all discussion goes out, all kindness goes out. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? Sometimes my parents would argue the party line rather than the kingdom of God line. And it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I'm inviting you to be different, to not make it. And the other thing I want to say is this, is that, you know, when some of you older Christians might remember, I don't know about this, those of you that are older than me, but I still remember a leader who says, listen, many of you have been taught that if you're a Christian, you're to remove yourself from all politics and not be engaged. I want to challenge that teaching, okay? He said that. I want to challenge that teaching. But I was thinking back, holy cow, there were some parts of the church that encouraged Christians to be separate from politics because of the kingdom of God. And I was hearing in my generation, no, 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 I want you to engage. So I'd like to suggest a hybrid approach. Yes, read. Yes, be engaged. Yes, follow the conversation politically. And yet at the same time, have a distance, distance yourself from the political discussion. I know this is a nuanced. Are, are you hearing me, right? Jesus said one of the most important things that Jesus said was, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God? How often did Jesus talk about the politics of his day? Some. How often did he talk about the kingdom of God? <laughs> All the time. Did he understand the politics of his day through the lens of the kingdom of God or the vice versa? He understood the politics of his day through the kingdom of God, right? If you, I want to suggest this, if you're lining yourself up fully with one political party, you're probably not fully aligned with the kingdom of God. You hear that? Friends, we have a beautiful testimony that we can have in this nation that is in some ways on fire politically. What would it look like if our first and foremost was saying we want to love our enemy? Especially those. We we want to live this paradigm shift regardless of how that is lived out. We want to represent God. I believe that we have people in our congregation across the political spectrum. Praise God. Yes. Do that. We might understand things differently from one another. It should be okay right? It should be okay that we would talk about the kingdom of God and learn from one another. Oh, this is how the paradigm shift applies. Have I said enough? Have I said too much? All right. Let's pull back just a moment. My desire is that you would live the color of faith, that your life would reflect the life of those early leaders like Cornelius. My desire is not political. We don't know what uh, Cornelius's politics were. Right? My desire is that you would live a life that is full of prayer, that is generous, maybe even to the fault, and that's obedient, a life of reverence, a life that abides in Christ. And let God figure out the politics as you read and understand and ask. He's going to work it out. Okay, I got it. There was one more thing I was going to say, and I couldn't get it, and I got it. I keep hearing from political pundits this desperation that this election in November is the make or break it of our country. Funny thing is I hear it from both sides. It's not the make or break it to our country. It's not. You know what the make or break it to our country is? Our hearts and how they respond to God. That's the make it or break it. Right? Don't argue like it's the make it or break it. Politically. Our hearts before God our obedience before God, that's what will profoundly impact our nation. Let's pray. So Lord, I did the best I could. Would you take my fumbling words and would you translate them to people here and online and use them for your honor and your glory and your praise? Lord, help us to be people like Cornelius. Lord, whatever you're calling us to grow in prayer, generosity or obedience or something else that wasn't named, would you... Would you convict our hearts? Lord, help us not to be first and foremost blue or red people. Help us to be kingdom people. Lord, teach us to not only love one another as a glory to you, Lord, but would you help us to love especially our enemies, especially those we disagree with. Would you work a humility in us, a reverence in us, a love in us, Lord, would you help us to to see in color? Would you help us to celebrate the color of culture, and skin? But would you help us to see in particular the colors of faith? Lord, I pray for Generational blessing. I pray that our lives would be in line with your gospel and we'd pass that on to our kids. And they would pass it on to their kids. And we would say the restoration of all things because of that generational blessing.